Welcome to Fave This, a new show about fandom, internet culture, and the unusual things people do in video games. This is your host, Patricia Hernandez, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Gita Jackson. Hey, what's up? I'm here yet again. This week we don't have a guest. It's just going to be the two of us, and I'm excited. What a twist. What a twist. We can't force anyone else to be on our podcast this week now. Um... Man, so this week, though, I feel like so many things happen, so we're going to be a little bit more topical than we usually are. Yeah, um, we try to usually just pick stuff that's interesting to us that's, you know, happening at any point in time, but yeah, it feels like this week has been 800 years long. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm like halfway in the grave right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so as many of you know, there was this whole debacle with PewDiePie last weekend, he said the N-word during a stream, and this kind of exploded on the internet, even though it wasn't the first time he's done it. It was just kind of like the first time that game journalists noticed. And so there was this fallout. A developer, Camposanto, used a DMCA t- uh, to take down PewDiePie video that had been viewed million- millions of times. And it's all kind of stuff that we've covered already and that has talked about to death. And Gita, I think you and I kind of have this eternal sigh over the quote-unquote discourse surrounding can you say a racial slur in a game? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm like, do we need to have this debate? Again, I feel like most of society at large understands why it's not appropriate for people who are not black to say the N-word. Um, but at, games culture has a very hard time with this specifically. Um, and I know that's not universally true. Like, I know it's mm-hmm. really difficult. There's this, like, really funny Tumblr post that gets circulated every time a celebrity says the N-word that's, like, uh, someone sending an anonymous ass to someone that's, like, what if someone was in the Make-A-Wish Foundation and they were a child oh with terminal God, cancer? Oh, my God, no, just yeah. <laughs> the first three and, words of that. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, the child with terminal cancer and his only thing that he wanted to do before he to die was to say the n-word like would would it be allowed then and it's like like how badly do you like why do you why do you want to say it is always the thing i i think but it is just a conversation that makes me completely exhausted because it's just like man don't just stop <laughs> stop you don't have to no vagina it's just a word but anyway no yeah. so that's not what we're going to talk about we're not going to talk about that if i mention it it's more for context maybe if you guys haven't quite been following this so that's the context of what we actually want to talk about. Um, since then, there's been like a lot of fallout. People have been worried about the effects that this might have on YouTube because PewDiePie is the face of the platform. And people are worried that this could affect like the future of Let's Plays and Laws because they've always kind of operated in this gray area. Yeah. But also like... Parallel to that, kind of quietly, Campo Santo itself has been seeing a whole lot of blue black. Uh, I have not seen Sean Vanneman's Twitter mentions, but I'm sure they're just a fucking shit show right now. Um, but like this entire week, uh, the discussions on the Steam page for Firewatch have also just been people angrily ranting about the studio's DMCA decision or warning people not to buy the game, a whole lot of cursing, probably a whole lot of banning, I'm guessing, because uh, one of the developers at Campo Santo says that they've been spending a lot of this week trying to curate all this shit. And if you see it right now, it's just like a whole lot of lock threads. I think 
even the ones that sound innocuous, like I can't tell if it's people trying to get around the moderation. Like there's this one thread where someone asks if they should buy this for a friend. And one of the top responses is like, absolutely, this game can teach you many important valuable life lessons like love, tolerance, and seeing beyond a person's skin. And it's made by developers who are such good role models. And I just, I read that and I'm like, is this genuine? It sounds like sarcasm. Like, I'm not stupid. So this sounds like sarcasm. It's like people trying to get around things that can yeah. be pointed as like, as like harassment or whatever. Yeah, the last I checked on the Steam page, like literally the entire first page of conversations on the Steam discussions was locked threads. Mm. And it just does seem like people are trying to figure out ways to make sure Campo Santo knows how they feel, which I'm very sure Sean Vanneman is very aware about how people feel about his game at this point. If you're thinking about leaving a review or starting a thread, you don't you don't have to. He's mm-hmm. he, he's got it already. Um, but yeah, I read that specific one. You sent that to me and it did seem like a weird form of concern trolling or like a dog whistle for to this person's pals or bait, mm-hmm. you know, troll bait. Because if you've played Firewatch, it's basically a story about two sad white people in the woods. Like, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I really like I mean, it's it. It's a good game, but also, yeah, that's. I feel like that's a good way to describe it too. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It's beautiful. It's really pretty. But you know, all the things that were described. It's like someone thought of what they thought a game um, by a quote unquote SJW would be, and described that instead of what Firewatch is, which is a nice, you know, two to three hour game about feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, right? So, like as you mentioned. Uh, the reviews page is just like a, sh- a shit show right now. There are a lot of people who are leaving negative re- evaluations of the game. Like right now, the top review, the most visible one says, uh, if I could return this game, I would. I simply cannot support a developer as childish as as thin skinned as this one. And that's just like one of the calmer ones. Like if you look at the recently posted reviews, it's a lot of long, angry tirades about the developer more than the game itself, which is to say like, not really helpful in like helping just someone decide if they should make a purchase and like all this affects what you see when you click on a game like on the top part of a of a page steam lets you know what the public reception to a game is firewatch right now is mixed because of a lot of the recent reviews but in the longer term it has like more very positive reviews um and so the the degree to which this actually affects game sales is kind of a mystery, at least in as much as like many top selling games, including No Man's Sky, uh, for a while have mixed or negative reviews. I'm going to guess that a lot of that it, this affects smaller titles a whole lot, lot more because I don't know about you. If I click on a game that I don't know or am I, I'm unsure about, and I see negative reviews, I'll rethink whether or not I want to buy that game, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't use them basically to entirely base my opinion on, but I do, if I, if I'm a random game is recommended to me by Steam and I'm just sort of browsing to see what I might want to play and it has mostly negative reviews, then I do just kind of, you know, browse away and I Mm -hmm. don't consider it Mm because I I do, you know, I mean, we're special cases in that we play a lot of games and we don't have a lot of time. Um, But I do know that that was a concern for me also when I wasn't, you know, had a didn't didn't have a full-time job and didn't have a lot of money like buying something and hating it was a terrifying proposition because this was the very small amount of money that I had to you know, allocate it towards trying new games right yeah and it like like I said 
we can't necessarily concretely prove how much of an effect this has on sales, but I think at a, at a baseline level, stuff like this proves to be a time sink for developers because like who wants to spend energy having to clean up all that muck? Like even if it's just like a very small percentage of PewDiePie fans doing this, that's still a lot of people. But as always, like Valve is just extremely hands-off, has no real tools for developers to curve this behavior. And I've also just seen developers complain that someone could buy the game, play it, review it negatively, and then refund it. So it's like, it's just a, a whole mess and and Steam has no way of, of helping developers, basically. Um, there's this anonymous game dev blog on Tumblr that has an entry on review bombing and they say, all review bombing really does is to continue both publishers and developers that uh, continue to convince both publishers and developers that user reviews aren't really worth anything. We already hold a pretty low opinion of user reviews because they are almost never representative of the actual opinions of the user base, but they are sometimes useful for specific feedback on things. User reviews are, after all, self-selecting self by nature. Only players that feel really strongly about a game will leave a review, which makes their reviews sometimes more detailed than others in specific systems. Brigading reviews just makes everything unreadable and makes user reviews useless for actually gathering feedbacks. So I, I guess at the center of this is just the idea that um, review bombs aren't real reviews and they don't provide like real feedback. Uh, this developer says they are an angry reaction to something that's enacted by a small, passionate, and vocal part of the fan base, a message born out of frustration. And I think you and I have both seen this, that review bombing has kind of become a de facto tool for trolls and angry people online. Yeah. I feel like every week there's a news story about a game that's getting review bombed, whether that's like Rockstar temporarily shutting down mods or like Valve not working on Half-Life 3. It's like just become this weird sort of online pseudo protest. And I'm curious, Gita, like if you have any thoughts on why this has become so popular, because to me, it kind of just seems like sh shouting into a void, but it also just seems like people really love shouting into a void. Well, it reminds me of like whenever a controversial figure on Twitter invites their detractors to debate them. It's like mm. a performative thing you do for your buddies. It's like catcalling in a way. Where you, hmm. you aren't catcalling for yourself. You catcall at women to signal to the men around you that you are a big, strong man that can attract women. Mm -hmm. um, it's right. I remember that video where, like, someone responded to all the catcalls and dudes just literally didn't know what to do when the, yeah. when the woman was actually amenable to the catcalling. I remember I had this friend um, back when I lived in Chicago. She, you know, we... We met up and she was like, yeah, I just got catcalled. And like what I did was I was so frustrated. What I did was I said, do you want to fuck me like right now? And he was like, no. And then she just <laughs> walked away. <laughs> <laughs> of course. They just have no plan B for like what happens if the if the cat call works. Yeah. And it just the impulse there reminds me of, you know, what it's like to see someone or people bombing the likes on a YouTube video they don't like or bombarding someone's mentions on Twitter with negative comments or review bombing. It all seems to me that it's less about telling the developer how you feel or discouraging people from buying the product, but just signaling to your friends and your buddies and 
um, I guess PewDiePie in this case, you know, that you are defending the honor of this person or standing up for a cause when in fact, you know, developers and publishers don't give a shit about this and Valve clearly doesn't give a shit about it. Um, if I look at a game and it's been review bombed all hell, I know not to pay attention to reviews. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it just seems, it is pointless but it is like this human insult impulse i think to feel heard mm-hmm. that drives people to do this right so that's kind of my thoughts too i feel like people i'm curious if people do it more because video game websites write it up now because i feel like, like i said i just see headlines about review bombing literally on a weekly basis so it almost feels like a shortcut to getting your concerns validated or at least acknowledged and like you said though I, this does range beyond steam itself like amazon pages can get review bombed uh there was this one restaurant near my house in the bay area uh that actually asked people to review bomb it uh because they were trying to give the middle finger to yelp and like how important yelp is considered and like that restaurant was fucking amazing and yet there it was with like one star so they kind of like weaponized this thing and i'm also kind of surprised that a developer hasn't thought to like just ask people to leave them negative reviews because fuck it yeah um but yeah it also just makes me think about the value of user reviews like to keep using yelp as an example like i use yelp a lot to discover the stuff around me but I, i like at the same time i don't really trust it because a what just considering what restaurants will appear on Yelp, right? Like, it's always very specific type of restaurants. I feel like often uh, more, like, not niche, uh, like, just... Bougie. We can say bougie. Yes, I was trying to find, like, a cordial way of saying this, but, like, you often won't find, like, a lot of... uh, a food that uh, people of color eat, I guess, is the the way that I (laughs) I would put it on Yelp. So, like, A, that's always something that I consider when I'm looking at it. Like, these are restaurants that mostly white people like. And then B, um, I just think about, like, who is the kind of person who would leave a Yelp review? Because (laughs) I feel like it's largely two camps. It's people who are mad about an order, which might be an anomaly. Like, you might have, like, two out of every 100 orders fucked up, but then those two people will go on Yelp and leave those negative reviews or on Grubhub, whatever it might be. Um, and they end up angry on the page and then that accumulates, right? But maybe this this restaurant is actually really good about getting their stuff correct. It's yeah. just, right? Yeah, there's like, so there's this chicken, fried chicken shop in Chicago that's pretty notorious across the South Side. And like they have a couple of restaurants, um, I think like in the Loop and on the West Side. Uh, Harold's fried chicken. They make incredible, incredible fried chicken. But it's like mm-hmm. it's like a black store. It's like black owned. Mm-hmm. It's for black people. And there's like a couple of things that like black people really just know about this spot. Like one, they always have bulletproof glass in like every single location. And mm-hmm. two, um, don't eat the coleslaw because it gives everybody the runs. It's really weird. Um, <laughs> but you'll go on Yelp and like see their Yelp reviews for Harold's fried chicken from well-meaning people that just don't aren't aren't in the culture. And they'll mm-hmm. be like, well, I mean, I ate the coleslaw and I had horrible diarrhea afterward. And it's like, <laughs> you would ask anybody in there whether or not you eat the coleslaw, like, they would tell you. <laughs> yeah, I've had a similar experience with pupusas that are made out of pork, mm-hmm. especially when I actually go to El Salvador, which is a third world country. Um, like, everyone warns each other, like, maybe if you eat those ones, you might 
get sick, but we all eat it anyway, like knowing that that might happen. But like, yeah. again, if this like stand in the middle of nowhere had Yelp reviews, it would have zero stars. But it's like, if you knew going in, like you should be, if you were a part of this community, you would know, but you're probably not a part of the community. And that's probably a part of the problem in the first place. Yeah. I recognize also that maybe people shouldn't be making food that makes you sick, but also... I feel like it doesn't fall squarely on on their shoulders, but anyway, okay. So also, papooses are delicious. So like, <laughs> well, yeah, baseline. you take you should be taking this risk knowing what you're getting into. Yeah. Okay, so that's one camp, uh, and the other camp is I feel like people who review a whole lot on Yelp, like, and I feel like usually it's people who care a whole lot about what food looks like or like how they can. Like, people who self-identify as, like, foodies. And I feel like that just, it means nothing to me. Because, like, some of the food that I really love might look like literal vomit. But it's delicious. But you wouldn't Instagram it, right? Like, you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't rave to your friends over wine about that food, probably. And I feel like the same sort of thing happens on Steam. Where people often cite how long a game is, how linear it is. Just stuff that doesn't matter to me. And it's, like often coming from a stranger so i don't even know how to what degree their tastes align with me if they do at all yeah. so i've just <laughs> yeah i, I, I mean, don't even <laughs> i think the yelp comparison for steam reviews is really apt because i when i read steam reviews i'm often reading them for certain clues about mm-hmm. the how the reviewer feels rather than an actual assessment of the game like um if you look at the reviews for something like life is strange before the storm uh, when I see a bunch of reviews that were like, oh, this got me in my feels, then I know that that is the kind of game that I want to play, right? Mm-hmm. And as, as soon as I see a review that's like, uh, this is Tumblr bullshit, I know that that person just, our tastes don't align. I'm sure that mm-hmm. if I looked at the rest of the games that they liked and disliked, I would just see that they have different tastes than me. And mm-hmm. I think everyone kind of does this for reviews, even from professional critics, but mm-hmm. I think it's especially important to do this. I mean, it happens... When you look at Goodreads, too, which is that website for um, people to sort of keep track of the books they read and leave little reviews for them. If you look at, you know, some of these things for YA reviews, there's this whole, like, very contentious scene of people on Goodreads and in Twitter that review YA books um, and sometimes do a similar form of review bombing where they, you know, will read a, a blog post about an upcoming book and then all decide en masse that it's problematic. And um, Oh, God. Yeah, did you read that article, right? No, but I just yeah. I didn't realize to what like it sounds like sort of similar to what happens on Tumblr, right? Yeah. Like people deem something problematic and then it's like everyone has to be against this sort of Yeah, yeah. Deal. No, there is a really long article I think on BuzzFeed about this sort of phenomenon where they uh demand publishers change books that are already in arc form so obviously that's not going to happen. Um and it's it's scary at because it's it's so visible, but mm-hmm. you know, one of the books uh, that was being uh, targeted by this this scene of very well-meaning concerned citizens, uh, "Carve the Mark," which is uh, by the author of the uh, another YA trilogy that I ended up really liking, even though it was corny and bad. I'm not sure; I don't remember. Um, "Carve the Mark," I read it, and you know, it, it did just fine. You know, in, in the scheme of things, how many people actually pay attention to this scene of people that? make certain authors lives more frustrating it, not very many like right. that's 
this is important to a very, very small crew of people. Uh, same with Yelp reviews and the same with good re read reviews and the same with review bombing. The, the people who are review bombing are doing it for themselves. And they mm -hmm. may feel like they are having an impact on the sales of Firewatch, but I don't know that they are. I think the people who are going to like Firewatch were going to like Firewatch and they'll buy mm -hmm. it regardless. I mean, it's, it's you know? also just been out for a while yeah. now, right? So I don't know how many new people are coming into it. Probably more now after this debacle, but like prior to this, you know. Yeah, the game has sort of run its course. Uh, maybe newfound fans of Ollie Moss probably figured out that he did some work in that game and picked it up. But, mm -hmm. you know, you can't even order the prints of the photos you take in the game anymore. So, hmm. like, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in short... It's all very performative. Valve needs to get its shit together because this isn't a good use of developers' time. And maybe just don't read the Steam reviews unless we're posting about them on Kotaku.com. I say cynically. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm not being serious. But yeah, okay. So as for our second topic today, uh, so I've been playing a whole lot of Destiny lately since that's out. Everyone's playing it. Uh... It's funny because it's a multiplayer game meant to be enjoyed with friends, but I've largely been playing it by myself, like alone. Do not get me wrong. I swear to God, I have friends. Actually, m m uh, most of my friends list is playing it right now as we speak, probably. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are just so many social dynamics at play that make me kind of feel weird about it. Like, for example, I've been playing three to four hours a night, which I feel like ever since release and I feel like that's a lot for someone who has adult responsibilities but I just feel like I'm just so much more behind than all of my friends like they're nearing power 300 and I've just barely eked out 200 and uh Destiny is like whittled down how many people you can bring with you into the crucible like which is the multiplayer mode um it's now four versus four instead of six versus six which is what it was in the first game so it it kind of means that you have to make choices about who plays with you and like likely you're going to default to people who are far along, have better gear. And I just feel like there's this inherent awkwardness to the design of this stuff because if you want to play Crucible, it's four people, right? But if you want to play other game in-game activities, it's three people. So if you go from one mode to another, which you probably will, like you're probably not going to spend all night playing uh, Crucible. You're probably like, you're probably gonna be like, hey man, let's go grind some of the whatever in, on on earth uh but you have to kick someone out because it's like it goes from four people to three people and i feel like i i would be the person that would get kicked out in that scenario because i'm not high enough level and i kind of just want to avoid that situation <laughs> i don't want to be the person that gets kicked kicked out and i just i kind of hate it when mechanics and games influence your social circles like Splatoon 2, for example, makes you fight against friends because you never know what team you end up in. And this just makes me feel awful because I'm so competitive and I really dislike going aggro on my friends. Like, I've had these ridiculous situations sometimes when I'm playing with a friend and I recognize them on the other team and I would literally stop shooting and run away because I knew if I kept seeing my deaths at the hand of my friend... I couldn't abstract my frustration to some asshole I didn't know. It was the person that I was going to have drinks with later. 
And like I said, maybe I'm just too competitive, but I didn't want to feel those negative emotions towards a friend, and I didn't want them to feel frustrated at me. Yeah. And I feel like this wouldn't be a problem if I could just chill, but apparently I can't. (laughs) I mean, this is my number one fear uh, when it comes to playing competitive games with friends, is that I'm going to get so, like, rip-shitting mad that I will not have a friend (laughs) by the time that the game is over. Like, I I wrote in my review of Repire that I, like, against my own will, it felt like, called... Editor-in-chief of Kotaku is Stephen Totillo, a motherfucker. Like, we were playing the game. It just slipped out of my mouth. And the very next thing that happened was I turned to him, looked him in the eyes like, oh, my God, Stephen, I am so sorry. I didn't mean it. Like, Don't fire me, please. Yeah. And I feel like um, competitive games like this, they try really hard. I mean, I think the reason why you have to play against your friends sometimes in Splatoon 2 is not only so that, you know, crews of very powerful high school players can just... like mop the floor with newbies but also so that maybe you will chill a little bit more because you play with your friends and against them but it definitely doesn't have that actual result in gameplay it ends up i feel like it has for some like i was reading kirk being like yeah i stopped caring about this as much and maybe if i gave it a chance i would chill more but i'm too neurotic for that to work apparently yeah (laughs) god (laughs) i the neuroticism also is really just, it's very difficult to play games like Destiny and Splatoon where your loadout matters so much for me. Also, you know, where mm-hmm. your skill level is not just tied to how well you can play the game, but to what you have and what you're, you're yeah, using. Yeah, how much time you've, you've spent in a thing. Yeah, and familiarity with systems also. So I'm picking up Destiny 2. I'm it's on my my PlayStation 4 right now mm-hmm. and I all I can think about is going home and playing it all night. Um and I've been really nervous about this because I know I have a bunch of friends who are very happy to play with me and help me get acclimated to the game and its systems, but if I'm going to be playing in a social space with other people, I'm so nervous about being the person who's new and doesn't know what the fuck she's doing and doesn't really play first-person shooters or any shooters at all for that matter. Uh it's yeah, I mean, it. I guess it always depends on the game, right? Like, you can pick up something like Street Fighter and both players, like, mechanically speaking, have access to the same things. Obviously, someone might have practiced more and, like, become more of an expert, but it's not a matter of, like, grinding an in-game thing to become better, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think that comparison's really apt. Um because there's there's a lot of work you can do to practice and become better at a at a fighting game, like you said. But it it's not like you're suddenly going to be after playing a hundred hours of Street Fighter, you're going to unlock a better version of the character you play. Where that's mm-hmm. that's very true for games like Splatoon and games like um, Destiny Two, the game I'm obsessed with, uh, mm-hmm. that I forgot the name of briefly. <laughs> but I mean, Splatoon I think is a feels a little bit more fair in that you know the the weapons can be good for any player as long as you play them very well. So it does feel like a little bit like you're looking for your favorite weapon rather than one that is mathematically, statistically better than others. Right. And also just like you don't really have to be quote unquote good at Splatoon to win, right? Like if you're just starting out and you have no idea how to kill people and you die really easily, you can still contribute to the team if you just focus on uh, getting ink on the map, right? So that yeah. helps a little bit. Um, but yeah, so like the nice thing about Destiny though is that I've, even though I have not 
actually invited any friends to play with me. I've never really been alone playing it. Um, because uh, during events, people all collaborate on killing things together because it's PvE. And it feels really good to see that come together. Like, uh, there was this one event where I kept being a dumbass, kept dying, and this guy kept reviving me, even though I was just making the stupidest decisions possible. And at the end, we both waved to one another, uh, and we both jumped up and down. I feel like that's just a thing kind of that you do in multiplayer games when you're, like, collectively excited. Like, before an Overwatch match, everyone just kind of, like, jumps and like does sprays and does their voice lines and it's just like this kind of like mm -hmm. communal hooting and hollering yeah it's I like uh, when you booyah in splatoon yes yeah. yes you should always booyah back always uh, booyah yeah. back <laughs> I, I literally have a shirt that says always booyah back i need that shirt holy shit that's amazing <laughs> uh but yeah I, f I felt like i made a friend even though i was being really terrible at the game and i feel like in a game like overwatch I probably just would have gotten yelled at, and I really love that the Destiny community is so nice to me, if I comparison. I feel like we talked about this a little bit yeah. last week, how, like, the differences in the community that you can be bad at Destiny. Not, I'm, I mean, not that I think I'm bad at Destiny, but you could be bad at Destiny, and people will still take it upon themselves to, like, help you out. It's just a yeah. thing that's that's a part of the community. I know right? when I said on Twitter that I wanted to pick up Destiny 2, even though I hadn't played Destiny at all beforehand, I had so many offers from people that were help, like really wanted to help me through the game and show me, you know, how to play and get me acclimated to it. And it feels very welcoming. I mean, we talked off the air, I think one time about our sort of private theories about why this is. Um, mm -hmm. And it has to do with why No Man's Sky fans also are so into that game even though it's not always the game they want it to be. Um, and it's because they they were, you know, the people who are the most ardent supporters of these games, they suffered through the games being not very good for a very, very, very long time. And now that the games, all they seem really on point, they really want everyone to see the thing that they devoted a lot of their time to and see mm -hmm. the game that they knew that these games could be. And so the communities, instead of being toxic or competitive, they really want to make sure everyone is having the best time possible because they don't want to have another dead community to live in. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like that. What if every game was just a little bit bad when it came out? You know, <laughs> I feel like that would lead to maybe more inclusive Well, you know, I feel like t a tinfoil hat, a lot of people would argue that because... Uh, because of day one patches and like how a lot of games are in early access that a lot of games do get shipped in like not quite optimal states and then developers often have to improve them so maybe we're already kind of there but <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know if there's just something about the destiny community that's so much nicer i was talking about this with uh kirk hamilton our editor at large at kotaku and he was he theorized that it's largely because the game is I mean, it has PvP, but it's mostly PvE, mm -hmm. and I feel like that kind of changes things a little bit because it's you're not being competitive against each other. You're all you all have to come together to kill something specific, and that kind of changes things a, a little bit. So I'm curious if if there ever is an Overwatch two, and if they put more of a PvE component into it, if some of these uh things about toxicity would uh, dissipate a little bit because there wouldn't be this tension between like the right way to play the game and like uh, doing the right strategies and have 
adhering to the meta if you're all shooting the same shit and like yeah. all all contributing to the yeah to the i mean same i problem. think that's what makes splatoon feel so collaborative even when you're losing badly because unless you see someone it always makes me so mad when i see someone that's obviously going for splats instead of inking the the world but unless you see someone doing that you know that everyone's working towards the same goal it doesn't really mm -hmm. matter whether or not you win or lose in that case as long as everybody's trying to pull their weight mm -hmm. um in other multiplayer games, it does always feel like I always get the feeling, even if I'm not very good, that I'm the only one that's trying and everyone else is not. <laughs> I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling. I mean, I know uh, probably more than half of the percent of the time I'm deluding myself. I'm absolutely not being the best person on the team. Yeah. And I know concretely that everyone like no one goes into a multiplayer match to be like, yeah, I'm just going to be shitty at this now. Like, yeah, I'm just going to fuck tries. around. <laughs> I, know, like, I know everyone tries, but it's so easy, especially if you are you have the most kills in a match, to be like, what the fuck? Where was my team? But like, if you have... A in that moment, you can't necessarily rationalize, like, no, actually, that guy that got killed like 20 times and only got one kill, they're probably really frustrated. You know, yeah, like they were probably trying this entire time and they like haven't quite grokked it. But that doesn't mean that they're an asshole or something. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just more visible in in, in situations that are PVE as well. You know, it's someone who's trying really hard to help you kill this one big thing. It's going to be a little bit more obvious when they are trying and failing rather than not trying at all. Mm -hmm. So, man, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I feel, I feel like you're going to have a, a really good time in Destiny. But the last thing I have to say about this, uh, because I'm me, I even though the Destiny community is nicer, I still feel like I've encountered... This is not a real problem. I should preface this again, <laughs> like so many of the things that I bring up in this podcast. But I do have a ridiculous new problem. Uh, so events happen all across the map, and they all have timers to them. Mm -hmm. So the game will tell you, like five minutes until the next event. And I always get there early and it always just makes me feel like such a dork because I'll be the only one shooting at shit for like the first minute or two and it always makes me feel like I arrived at the party at 7 p.m. and everyone else is probably not getting there until 9. Are you usually like what <laughs> the Hermione Granger of Destiny 2? <laughs> I, I fucking guess so. But yeah, like I'll just, I'll be in there and I'll be like, shit, shit, I keep dying. Where is everyone? And then people won't show up until literally like the last 30 or 45 seconds of the game. Oh my and God. It, <laughs> this is going to make me insane. <laughs> oh, I don't uh, maybe I should just, I'll, I'll be casually late to everything. I'm just, I'm always just worried that if I'm late, like the event will be over because you can finish something before the time, uh, before the in-game timer is done too. Like mm -hmm. you can finish the requirements. So I'm always like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to get there like 30 seconds. I'm going to get there right now. And it's always just me and it makes me feel bad. But anyway, <laughs> I'm a huge dork in Destiny 2 and you should all join my Waluigi wins clan so we can be dorks together. As and soon as I have the ability rewards. to join this clan, I'm going to be fucking in waluigi wins you have no idea i'm so yeah, excited look it up you could there can be a, a hundred people in a clan and we still have plenty of room so you should you should get on in there the call sign is i'm a gonna win <laughs> so you gotta you can't be shitty you gotta win for the spirit of all you gotta at least try to win yeah, for the spirit yeah, of waluigi for the wa brothers come on <laughs> but yeah 
So uh, do we have a review this week? We do. We had a great review. Let me pull this up very quickly. I just had it open. Of course, I tab away. Um, So this is from Estonian Penguin. And the title is, Now This, This is Good Content. Listening to people have interesting and nuanced discussions about video game culture, that's real good, and I love it. But you know what's the best content? It's listening to bi girls make bi jokes. That's my lifeblood. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Estonian Penguin. I just want to say I think having a podcast is bisexual culture. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess... Is it weird for me to be a little bit paranoid now that we talked about review bombing, that people are going to review bomb our podcasts? Please do not review bomb you our You should podcast. love bomb us instead. <laughs> <You> should, <laughs> <laughs> Please leave reviews. Uh, it, even if you, here's the thing though. Even if you leave bad reviews, it also helps for visibility. Yeah, it, re- it's review bomb like, the shit out of us then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long as you leave a review with your honest opinion and rating, I appreciate it. You can also leave like a thumbs up or a thumbs down on Stitcher. And I think we're on Google Play, although I have no idea whether or not reviews yeah, matter if, on Google Play. What if iTunes loves us more than Google Play and we just have shitty reviews on there? I don't know. I haven't checked. So, we just had an check. entire podcast about how you shouldn't trust reviews unless they're positive and beneficial to us, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Only the five-star reviews on our iTunes page matter. Anyway, um, so I think that's all for this week. I'm Gita Jackson. I'm joined by Patricia Hernandez, as always. We are on, you can find our work on kotaku.com, where we both work and write about stuff. Um, if you have reader mail, that that, that helps us out. Um, we'd love to hear from you. You should send it to patricia at kotaku.com with the headline, Fave This. And we will see you we next might- week. Right? Maybe. Maybe. I, right. Oh, I'm going to be on, on vacation, but I'm going to make an effort to record from Scotland. Maybe we will have a special guest Ooh. from Scotland because I'm visiting Kara Ellison and she has worked on games like uh, Dishonored and Tomb Raider. So that would be incredible. Something to look forward to next week from Europe. Wow. A real European podcast vacation. (laughs) Well, you enjoy your vacation. Um, I will be not there. (laughs) I'll hold it down. I'll hold it down in New York. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody.